0: Now turn with me in your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 2 and I want to read from verse 18 through to verse 25. I'm not actually going to give an exposition of these verses tonight. The the passage will really be a springboard to uh, what I want to really say this evening. Well, let's just read from Genesis chapter 2. And just remember this is your reading. This is not poetry. There are those that tell us it is. This is not some sort of allegory. This is real, literal history. This actually happened. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone i will make him an help meet for him and out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto adam to see what he would call them and whatsoever adam called every living creature that was the name thereof and adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh, and thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. We know God will stamp with His own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Genesis chapter two, twenty four, really a springboard text, and my subject this evening is the myth of gay marriage. Some fifteen years ago, when I came to this pulpit to preach the gospel, I told you that I don't do politics that I hadn't come to endorse a political party or come with a political agenda. I came here to preach Christ and him crucified. Yet even back then, I told you there'd be times when we'd have to preach against the government and against the political situations that arise affecting our society. Now, tonight, sadly, is one of those occasions. You see, one of the... Most defining moral issues of our day is the adoption and the promotion of what people call gay marriage. Now, the government today says that gay marriage is acceptable, that it's okay. For example, David Cameron, our current British Prime Minister, says that gay marriage will make British society stronger in a speech in 2011 at the Conservative Party conference he endorsed it from that period the coalition government began a consultation held in England and Wales about the subject eventually it was legislated for in parliament toward the end of 2013 and the first so-called gay wedding took place in early March 2014 now a question facing the church of Jesus Christ is this is it possible that two men or two women could enter into a marriage covenant or contract now folks the right and proper answer is no It's not possible. Gay marriage is a contradiction in terms. It's contrary to the law and mind of God. It flies in the face of 2,000 years of the traditional view of marriage between one man and one woman. As we'll see from the scriptures, it is in reality an abomination in the sight of a holy and just God. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, why are we dealing with this subject? Reverend McLaughlin, you're preaching to the converted. Now, let me point out that there is a reason and a rational explanation as to why I'm dealing with the subject. I want you not only to be informed about the subject... But I want you to be informed in such a way that you can go out and speak to others face to face among your friends, among your family that there's no such thing as gay marriage in the eyes of God. I want you to be clear. I want you to be sound in this regard. Now there's many thinking that we can't say such a thing today from the pulpit. It is argued that it's not politically correct. But folks, we need to say it again in the Free Presbyterian Church. The message of opposition has to be loud and clear. We need to speak the truth in love. We live in a day when it's said Don't say that because it offends people. People get upset. And you see, the fact is that many in the church just sit and think of what I'm actually saying. And what we need is for the many that think to speak up themselves in the home, in the workplace, in the school, in the university, in society for truth and righteousness. Remember the Lord Jesus likened the church or the disciples to the salt of the earth. Now what if the salt loses its saltiness? Is it any good? Surely it loses its saltiness, its useless. It loses its sting, its bite. It makes the food bland. It's useless. It makes no difference whether you put a little or a large amount upon it. And what we need is to exercise ourselves as the salt of the earth. Give ourselves to prayer. Cry for the power and help of God. And have that passion and holy boldness to speak the truth in love. And as the proverb says, May the Lord be pleased to make the righteous... As bold as a lion in our day. May the Lord be pleased to give us holy boldness. Didn't the disciples pray? We thought about it this morning. Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants great boldness. And of course, that's what we need. Now, let's just think for a moment. What are the main arguments against this so-called gay marriage? And there's three. The first one is this, the clarity of the biological argument. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I want you to think with me tonight. Of batteries. The young people here know about batteries. For their toys. <coughs> and for their gaming machines. And they know that they have in the battery. A plus and a minus. So at one end there's a minus, And at the other end there's a plus sign. And they know to have two or three batteries together. They have to switch them round. So that at one end there's a minus and a plus and a minus the same at the other end. But if you put two minuses together or two pluses together, you know children what happens, young people. The toy or the game doesn't work. Nothing happens. You, you need a, 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 a plus and a minus. You need a negative and a positive. The two go together to make it work. Now here we are in Genesis 2. And there's the marriage of Adam and Eve. And as we've said in the introduction and the reading, it's not poetry. It's not a parable. It's history. And it's the marriage of a male and female. That's a traditional biblical marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. The UK government today, sadly, thinks that it knows better than God. That it's wiser than God. For it advocates two men or two women to be married. How foolish. How stupid. To be a true marriage, it has to have a man and a woman. Otherwise, it's not a true marriage. It's a perversion of marriage. It's a counterfeit. It won't work. It can't work. Because two men or two women in themselves cannot be fruitful. They cannot procreate. They cannot bring forth children. God ordained traditional marriage, one man and one woman. And therefore, we have to say truthfully... That homosexuality is an idolatrous corruption of marriage. Gay marriage, therefore, doesn't exist. It's impossible. It only exists if marriage is the state's idea, if the marriage is the government's concept. But it's not the government's concept, it's God. He instituted marriage away back in the beginning. And if you turn over there to uh, Genesis, sorry, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, the Lord Jesus was asked a question about marriage. <clears throat> and of course, the specific question had to do with the breakdown. Of marriage and the granting of a divorce. Now look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? Now he was referring them to the Old Testament scriptures. He was referring them to the book of Genesis. He was referring them to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is history. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning how did he make them male and female and said for this cause because I made a man and because I made a woman for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh what therefore God hath joined together let no man put Asunder, You see, God instituted marriage. It is his idea. It's his concept. And it is between a male and a female. And anything else, everything else, doesn't constitute marriage. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as a sodomite marriage. So there you've got the clarity of the biological argument. Notice also... You've got the clarity of the biblical argument. Now, keep your thoughts in the book of Genesis and turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, young people, is all about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now I want you to think with me, because three men came to Abraham in Genesis 18, and one of them was the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham was given a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ, really what we call in theological terms a theophany, the appearance of God in the flesh. The Lord Jesus taking a human body before he was born at Bethlehem. And the Lord Jesus came to Abraham along with two angels. And why did he come? And here's the answer. They were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the course of conversation, that's what this group that met Abraham told him was going to happen. And Abraham Thought about his nephew Lot in Sodom, and he began to pray to God. And he said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous there, I want you to spare the city. And he came right down to 10. Now think of it the meek and mild Jesus, the one who said, Love your enemies, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Is it possible? That this meek and mild Jesus who said, love your enemies, is going to destroy a whole city? In fact, five cities? Yes. Why? What have they done? Because of the sin of homosexuality. That's exactly what happened to the men of Sodom. (coughs) Look with me at Genesis chapter 19 verse 5. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, These are the inhabitants of Sodom. Where are the men which come in to thee this night? That's the two angels. Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Underline the words. That we may know them. Now keep that thought in mind. Here's the loving, gracious, merciful Son of God, the one who came to bleed and die on the cross. And yet this one has come to pour out fire and brimstone on the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah for the practice of a homosexual lifestyle. And the Bible's teachings clear, it's plain. The proponents of gay marriage go to great lengths to twist and pervert the scriptures. They use creative arguments to speak in favor of homosexuality. Sadly, some even professing evangelicals, many in so-called Christian denominations tonight, whether they be Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Or whatever, and their argument is that God dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah because of a lack of hospitality. Because they didn't show hospitality to strangers. That's rubbish. It wasn't because they didn't show hospitality to strangers, it was because of the sin of homosexuality. And that's the issue in Genesis chapter 19, verse 5. That was the sin. That we might know them. And the word know means have intimate carnal knowledge with them. have, Have intimate physical relations with the men. And we read in Genesis 19. Well maybe we should read in Genesis 18 verse 20. And the Lord said because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Because their sin is very grievous. And then we read in Genesis 19 verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned in different places in the Bible. And is mentioned in light of the grievous sin that was there in the city. Now now turn with me to another scripture. I want to show you two or three very quickly. Uh, Over there in Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. In verse 22 and verse 23, you should underline these verses. You should familiarize yourself with them. Here's the clarity of the biblical argument. Look what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord Jesus was involved in pouring fire and brimstone upon that city. Now here's the civil law for Israel, Leviticus 18 verse 22. The principle stands, it hasn't changed it's tied into the moral law Look at verse 22 Thou shalt not lie with mankind As with womankind It is abomination Neither shalt thou lie With any beast to defile thyself with this Neither shall any woman stand before a beast To lie down thereunto. It is confusion Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things For in all these things the nations are defiled which I cast you out before. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. The land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. You see, here's God's view, folks, of the sin of homosexuality. And this was the civil law for Israel, and it was tied into the moral law because God had said, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." And, and that uh, is wide enough to to include this practice of homosexuality. God views it. Uh, notice the connection in verse twenty three with the sin of bestiality. You see, that was the law of Moses. You could maybe argue, well, that's the Old Testament. There's nothing really in the New Testament about homosexuality, so it couldn't be addressed there. But I want to tell you, the New Testament is equally clear in denying homosexuality. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Romans chapter 1. Now this is one of the most important passages I would have to say in all of the Bible. It's one of the the building blocks of the gospel. Paul is dealing with the great subject of man's total depravity and explaining his need of a personal justification that's full and free and forever. He's setting down the necessity, really, of justification. He's proving man's total depravity. All human beings are completely and totally depraved in the sight of God. Now now look with me, just read the verses. Verse 24, look at the book now. Not cost you anything. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, For even their woman to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. You see, here's a passage of scripture that starts with the word wherefore. Uh, And it means in view of this. These people professed themselves to be wise. Wiser than God. But they weren't wiser than God. They were actually foolish. And they changed the glory of God. Into a God of their own vain uh, uh, imagination. Uh, And in light of this. God gave them up to degrading passions. And this passage teaches. If I can just. I uh, point out to you that homosexuality is a sin both in its behavior and its orientation, its lifestyle. Homosexuality is a sin under the judgment of God. Homosexuality is actually God's judgment on humanity. It's a sign that people have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of creaturehood. They've turned from the creator to, to worship the creature, the, the great God of self. People doing their own thing, going their own way. Not only is homosexuality a sin under the judgment of God and a sign of God's judgment on humanity, but homosexually it is unnatural. Isn't that what we read, especially in verse 26 and verse 27? For even their woman to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, even the natural use of the woman burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. See, It's unnatural. Two men entering into a married relationship, a married bond. Two women entering into a marriage relationship or bond. It's unnatural, the Bible says. Homosexuality is rooted in lust, not love. The Bible actually tells us, burned in their lust. It's nothing to do with love. Homosexuality, of course, is destructive to the individual self. And to society, and you see, whenever homosexuals read what Paul says or confront it with it, they hate it. They they argue that this man's guilty of a hate crime. How dare he say that? How dare he write about a group of people whose behaviour is perverse and unnatural? And yet here it is in the New Testament, and he's doing it under the umbrella of man's depravity. Just look with me at another couple of scriptures. We'll just turn to two more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look with me at verse 9 to 11. I'll just read it. It really speaks for itself. Corinth was full of sexual immorality. There was all kinds of sinful activity. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's from the Greek meaning sodomites. Now do you see that? In fact, not that I'm advocating the New King James Version, but it it substitutes the phrase, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, for the word sodomite. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, one final passage. There's many passages that we could turn to, but I've given you the main ones. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look with me at verse 8 through to 11. And I want you to think again about Paul's argument using the law of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry you have to work tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient. In other words, the law was given to show us how sinful we were, so that we could see and know our sin. Notice the rest of the text. For the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. That's the same word in the Greek in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in the verse 9 and 10. And it's very strong. And it's very Graphic. Those that defile themselves, those that abuse themselves with mankind. And as I've said, the New King James Bible uses actually the word sodomite because that's the word. To, To speak of gay marriage, to advocate it, is actually advocating what we have to call in essence a sodomite marriage. And that's very strong language. And there's the clarity of the biblical argument from the Old Testament right through into the New Testament, and in many key passages, this sin is talked about. Notice one final thing. The clarity of the behavioural argument. You see, those today, even our Prime Minister, even President Barack Obama, who has come out in support of so-called gay marriage, they, they forget about the family. The family is really one of the building blocks of society. And we have to say that homosexuality is an enemy to the family. It destroys the family. And therefore what destroys the family unit has impacts on the church and impacts on the state. Way back in the 1960s, Probably before I was born, there was a thing called the sexual revolution. I'm not really sure all that that means. But the motto of the sodomite movement of back then, they, they chanted this in the streets of Britain, and I quote, 2, 4, six, eight, smash the family, smash the state. That was their aim back then. That was their goal. And it's still the same, the same today. They're not interested in a stable family. They're not interested in the uh, uh, stability of the family unit. You only have to think of the sad plight of Sir Elton John and his so called partner and two children that are in that uh, relationship as well, uh, born to IVF treatment using surrogate mothers. Isn't it so sad? Because it's not a real marriage. And therefore it's not a real family. And there's been a big row recently with uh, two other homosexuals called Dunks and Cabana. I didn't know they were actually homosexuals. I didn't even know what it was until the other day. Uh, And they um, lambasted the fact of Elton John and his partner having children. And they said that homosexuals should not have children. That's right. Because in essence it's actually an attack on the family. Uh, Also... Uh, homosexuality destroys the right of conscience. You see, gay marriage, or sodomite marriage, really, forces the, 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 the consensus, forces the adoption uh, against one's individual conscience. And it's not already happened in Northern Ireland. The Asher bakery case, 26th of March now, they're going to the court all over a cake because they refuse to write the words... We support or support same-sex marriage. They refused to endorse it. They refused to say it was okay because of their conscience. Think of the uh, landlords, Mr and Mrs Bull. I think they were from Cornwall and Devon and they refused to supply a room to two homosexuals. And they were dragged through the courts and lost the case and had to pay a fine. The day will come when pastors and ministers will be forced to perform a wedding in their church and I predict that in the course of time there will be a test case and some pastor, some minister, some church will be forced to comply against their conscience. We could add into that the abortion. We could add into that the adoption agency and what uh, people in those areas of uh, whether it's uh, nursing or doctors, or, or whether it's individuals in the adoption agency themselves, have to act against their conscience. See, it destroys individual conscience. Also, it destroys the rules in marriage. As we said this morning, women and men have different rules, God given rules. But, but homosexuality destroys them, it destroys gender diversity. And, and that affects the moral fabric of society. When you have a husband and wife, when you have a mother and father, when you have, have Christian parents and Christian children. And and, and, and and this destroys that. As we've already said, that's part of their long-range vision. Remember their motto, two, four, six, eight, smash the family, smash the state. Do you know that in the United States of America, schoolboys can use the girls' bathrooms all because of this so-called equality legislation. See, there's an agenda on. There's a bigger picture going on. And it's destroying roles, not only in marriage, but in society. We'd have to say it destroys the role of the family. What is the purpose of marriage? It's to bring life into the world. It's so that a man and woman can have children together. Mm -hmm. That's God's way. Why do two people join together in marriage? To have children, to bring them up in the fear and nurture and Admonition of the Lord, that's the purpose of marriage, to have covenant children, children that God has given, children that we can pray for and teach the way of salvation and to get them to trust Christ and to stand for the Lord. We have to say, what in the world is the purpose of a sodomite marriage? It certainly can't be to procreate. It also destroys the definition of biblical morality because it opens the floodgates. Once you set aside the biblical definition of marriage, you've opened the door. Who can get married? Could a man get married to his dog or his donkey? Why not? Who's the state to say you can't? If two men can, two women can, then why can't a man have two wives or three or four or a woman of three or four husbands? You see, it opens the door. And it's not the Fear. Because finally it destroys the very fabric of society. Homosexuality affects every area of our lives. And I believe the impact is yet to be seen. Remember, Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book, Sodom Had No Bible. And let me say this as we finish. Remember, out of Sodom, how many was actually saved? There was four brought out of Sodom. There was Lot, Lot, who was in a backsteading state. There was his two daughters, and we know nothing about their spiritual state. And there was Lot's wife who looked back and became a pillar of salt. I've been thinking about this. How do we in the church respond to this sin in the land? We truly have to say homosexuality is a sin. We truly have to say, sadly, like other sins, it's under the judgment of God. But how do we respond? Let me just finish with this. We can respond with a truthless grace. That is a false tolerance. Do you know that 43% of so-called young evangelicals in the United States support a softly, softly approach? That's their business. They're in love. Let them alone. If they want to do it, let them get on with it. And of course we don't want a truthless grace. Because that's not true grace. We also don't want a graceless truth. We don't want to be hard hearted and cold. Hasn't the church often a bad reputation for being self-righteous? We don't welcome the judgment of God on any soul. We certainly don't mock them. We won't treat them like dirt. We're not going to despise them. We need to weep for them. We need to be meek in front of them. We need to adopt the mindset, but there go high for the grace of God. They have got immoral souls. And what do they need? They need the truth of God. They need to be told that this is sinful. They need to be called to repentance. They need to be pointed to faith in Christ. We're not going to try and compete against the culture of the day. We need the truth of God. But we need grace. These are souls in need of the grace of God, and only the grace of God can change them. Could I say this in finish? Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 11, Paul added the words, Thinking about all the sinful morality, immorality and Corinth. and such were some of you. Some were abusers of themselves with mankind, and they came under conviction. And glory to God they were converted, and glory to God they were changed. And as he adds the words, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice you just say some. And I go back to what I said how many, how many out of Sodom there was only one man, and he was a backslidden believer. His two daughters, we know nothing about their spiritual state. We need to pray much for our society. If God has given them up to a reprobate mind, God has given them up to uncleanness, then we fear because that's a sign of judgment. Here's the behavioral argument this is what it destroys. Once you let it loose and yet we still weep that these souls will find the grace of God maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved and you're saying well I'm, I'm not living that type of life glory to God, thank the Lord but you're still a sinner the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and as a sinner you need a saviour and there is a saviour we can point you to his name's Jesus and he'll welcome you tonight if you receive him by faith you repent of your sin if you call on the lord whosoever shall call on the name of the lord shall be saved call on the lord tonight that you might be saved may the lord bless these few words to your heart